Hello? Quick, turn on the TV. Huh? Why? What's going on? I'm studying for long quiz tomorrow. You'll never believe me if I tell you, so you might as well see it in your own eyes. You're freaking me out. Which channel? All the channels. We interrupt this regularly scheduled programming for some breaking news. Today, September 11, 2001, at just before 9 a.m. New York time, that's 9 in the evening here in the Philippines, American Flight 11 crashed into one of the twin towers of the World Trade Center. The hijacked Boeing 767 had taken off from Boston less than an hour earlier on its way to Los Angeles. Then, 18 minutes later, captured by network and home videos alike, a second hijacked plane this one, a United flight, also from Boston to Los Angeles, crashed into the second tower. There was an enormous fireball. It was fire, debris, falling to the ground. There was this whole mushroomy smoke that filled it up. It was like a blizzard, but a blizzard that wasn't cold, that, you know, had no wind. It was just hot. The twin towers of the World Trade Center, symbols of America's economic power, stood wounded in the morning sky. Then, an attack on America's military power. A third plane, hijacked after takeoff in Dallas Airport in Washington, D.C., crashed into the Pentagon. Streaking down and it hit short and it didn't hit on top of the Pentagon and then everything sprayed up like a fireball. It sprayed everything up on the wall. Engulfed in flames and smoke, part of the Pentagon collapsed. Casualties there are expected to be in the hundreds. Hello everyone, welcome to the 53rd episode of Banana Q Podcast. Today, September 11, is a date that everyone in the world is probably very familiar with. 9-11 is the Day of Terror, and today happens to be its 20th anniversary. It was one of those surreal moments that's so memorable that I still recall how I first found out about it even this many years later. Actually, the cold open was based on my true story. So here are some trivia about 9-11. So the hijackers were found to be Islamic terrorists from Saudi Arabia and several other Arab nations. And these are reportedly financed by the Al-Qaeda terrorist organization of Saudi fugitive Osama bin Laden. So probably everybody knows who Osama bin Laden by now is. Mm -hmm. And they were allegedly acting in relation for, you know, America's support of Israel and its involvement in the Persian Gulf War. So it's it was kind of retaliatory for the Islamic terrorists from Saudi Arabia. And then some of the terrorists actually had lived in the United States for more than a year and had taken flying lessons at American commercial flight school. So it was really kind of had a long plan for them, right? So they kind of infiltrated their terrorist members to flight schools in American oh. commercial flight schools. And then a lot of other terrorists slipped into the country uh, months before the September 11. And you know, those guys acted as muscles for the hijacking. And then apparently 19 terrorists easily smuggled box cutters and knives through security at three East Coast airports and boarded four early morning flights bound for California. So it was kind of strange. Right? A lot of people were asking, how did the terrorists able to smuggle these weapons, right? Mm. If you know right now, when you fly 
commercial flights, there are a lot of checks in the airports already. And that is in response to what happened also in, in 9-11. A lot of securities were tightened after that. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of casualties in, in that attack. So a total of 2,996 people were killed, including you know the 19 terrorist hijackers aboard the four airplanes. And uh, aside from the casualties, the economy of the U.S. as well was severely impacted. So New York City's economy alone lost around 143,000 mm. jobs in a month. And that's roughly $2.8 billion of wages in the first three months. So, you know, more as some of the industries are more heavily impacted than others. And of course, the heaviest ones are finance and air transportation, which accounted for about 60% of the lost jobs. Oh. As a response to the Day of Terror, then-President uh, George W. Bush delivered a televised address from the Oval Office declaring terrorist attacks can shake the foundations of our biggest buildings, but they cannot touch the foundation of America. These acts shatter steel, but they cannot dent the steel of American resolve. So after that, uh, several actions were taken as well. The first one is the Homeland Security Act was signed into a law and it created the Department of Homeland Security. So we are familiar with this department because it's usually thrown into movies, right? Like movies that we see if there are attacks, it's usually, oh, I'm from Homeland Security or something. Even in Marvel films, uh, this department is highlighted. Aside from creation of this uh, department, the attacks also triggered the U.S. war in Afghanistan. Yes. And obviously, this is in the news recently because the U.S. has recently withdrew their forces from Afghanistan and the eventual capture of Taliban. So that's a totally different podcast episode in the future. But yeah, that's kind of like a two-decade-long response and withdrawal from the United States in Afghanistan. Yeah, so the 9-11 attack, it is one of the most famous acts of terrorism in the world. But what about the Philippines? It's also unfortunately known as an unsafe country. In fact, in our episode 25, Does Culture Matter in a Relationship? One of our guests, Rob, who is a Nicaraguan in Canada, talked about how one of his concerns about visiting the Philippines is that he might get kidnapped. Now, while it isn't that common, after all, a lot of foreigners used to visit the Philippines before the pandemic, uh, his concern was still valid because we did have cases of those. Most of this were perpetrated by a few terrorist groups, which we will be discussing next. Yes. Now, usually when there is a terrorist attack or like a kidnapping in Mindanao or somewhere around there, people think that it's done by the same terrorist group. But there are actually a few different ones. So the first one is the Moro National Liberation Front or MNLF. It is an Islamic separatist organization based in the southern Philippines. Its stated purpose was to create an independent Islamic state or autonomous region for the Filipino Muslim minority known as the Moro people, who live primarily in the Philippines' Mindanao region. For about two decades beginning in the 1970s, the MNLF was the leading organization in the Moro separatist movement. But since 1996, the MNLF has been surpassed in strength and influence by its rival group, the MILF. Hmm? So, MNLF, MILF, what's, what's the difference? Is it Moro International Liberation Front? <laughs> Is it no. like a more international version? 
No, it's not. MILF is an acronym for Moro Islamic Liberation Front. Okay. Yeah, but I understand your confusion. And also, there are a lot of non-Filipinos who have a different thing in mind for that acronym. Yes. <laughs> Which I am not going to say. Um, you know, look it up. But I'm sure you know. It's probably mentioned famously in the American Pie movie. But mm. I think this MILF came first because it was formed in 1977 when Hashim Salamat, supported by ethnic Maguindanao's from Mindanao split from the MNLF, advocating a more moderate and conciliatory approach toward the government. In January 1987, the MNLF signed an agreement relinquishing its goal of independence for Muslim regions and accepting the government's offer of autonomy. The MILF, the next largest faction, refused to accept the accord and continued their insurgency operations. So currently, there are two different groups, but they're also holding separate peace talks with the government. But there is another popular terrorist group with similar ideology, or it started out the same way anyway, and it's called the Abu Sayyaf Group. But they are considered the most violent remnant of the terrorist movement. So the Abu Sayyaf Group, or ASG, was formed in 1991 during the peace process between the Philippine government and the nationalist or separatist terror group, the MNLF. Between 1986 and 1996, MNLF engaged in negotiations to end their two-decade terrorist rebellion. Certain MNLF members refused to accept the end of the terrorist movement, so similar to MILF. Those angered by the movement toward a peaceful revolution, these members formed Abu Sayyaf as a small but extremely violent terrorist organization. So while the Abu Sayyaf group remains nominally committed to the formation of a Muslim state in the southern Philippines, the group has recently shifted toward predominantly criminal enterprises. Mm. Some intelligence experts have viewed recent ASG bombings as a possible sign that the group is returning to its radical philosophical roots. So I think most of the kidnappings and bombings that we see, I think most of this are from this group. Before we go to the other terrorist group, I'm just trying to wrap my head around the ideology of the separatist movement, right? Because why in the first place are they... If you think about it, Mindanao is predominantly Muslim state, right? And and that's probably because during the occupation of the as a state, Mindanao was never really fully captured as a colony by Spain. That's probably why it's still predominantly Muslim, right? And they are not converted. Not the entire area, but certain places, like for example below Zamboanga, I would think, like Holo. But Zamboanga, though, there was a fort built there by the Spanish people. So I think it's not the whole Mindanao, but certain parts. Maybe that is why they they are fighting for this, right? They feel like they were there first. They feel that they have a right to right. Uh, independence or this forms their belief. That's why they want independence. But regardless of the idea, regardless of what they believe in, Violence is never the answer. And that is why it kind of feels strange that when MNLF wanted to have peaceful talks, peaceful discussion with the government, then another separatist movement, uh, MILF and Abu Sayyaf, sprouts and then they cause terror again. So uh, unless and until all of the kind of separatist movement agree to a peaceful discussion, there will always be kind of, which we don't 
agree um you know yeah of course not no yeah <laughs> just to clarify <laughs> if if well if there's anybody listening here and thinking we are pro terrorist we are not of Definitely course not, not we are we, <laughs> we we just wanted to think about like what are their motivations and yeah yeah why do they think this way i guess and then the other major uh, strand of modern terrorism in the philippines uh, can be traced back to the communist insurgency during the martial law era. So with the aim of overthrowing the government, the Communist Party of the Philippines, New People's Army, so in short, CPPNPA, is a six-letter acronym, is considered one of the oldest communist insurgencies in the world. Mm. Included in the list of foreign terror organizations of the U.S., State Department, the CPPNPA, had its ranks swell during the Marcos years, due partly because of poverty, political strife, and repression during the dictatorship. So from an estimated high point of over 40,000 fighters, the CPPNPA is estimated now to number only around 4,000. So the number, the members have dwindled over the years, probably because the martial law has ended. A long time ago, but but there are still people mm-hmm. who has the, the idea of overthrowing, destabilizing uh, the government. Now that we've talked about these organizations, we want to also highlight some of the attacks that were done by these organizations in the Philippines. And the first one that we can come up with is perpetrated allegedly by the CPPNPA, and that is the bombing of Plaza Miranda in 1971. So it's quite old, right? 1970s. Yeah. So it predates the martial law era. This occurred during a political rally of the Liberal Party, so one of the political parties in the Philippines, at Plaza Miranda, Capo District in Manila, on August 21, 1971. And it caused nine deaths and injured 95 others, including many prominent Liberal Party politicians. Now, as I've said, suspicion went to the CPP-NPA, but another form of suspicion was on President Ferdinand Marcos himself. What? Okay. Yeah. They feel that it was a political attack, and that's why they point fingers on uh, the then President Ferdinand Marcos. However, in, in later years, some of Prominent personalities associated with the event have laid the blame to CPP-NPA. So there was an author, Juvito Salonga. Mm-hmm. He laid a lot of evidences that it's probably CPP-NPA doing that to destabilize the government. And then a former New People's Army commander, then retired Armed Forces of the Philippines Brigadier General Victor Corpus, also made the same statements that the head of the NPA, who is Sison, perpetrated the attack. So a lot of oh. evidence points finger to CPPNPA, but until now, the matter has never been resolved, so we don't really know <laughs> okay, yeah. who actually did. So it's quite troubling that it's quite an old, cold case. But what about the Moro Islamic terrorist groups? What are the attacks that you can share? Now, there's a long list of terrorist activities that they did, and it's on Wikipedia, and I don't think we have enough time to go through all of them. So I will be talking about my personal experiences on terrorism as someone who grew up in Sambuanga City. Now, a lot of terroristic events happen around the area, but they're always reported in the news as something that happened in Sambuanga City, even though it's not really there. It's just around there, like probably it happened in Basilan or in Holo or whatever, but 
always when it reaches the national news, it's Zamboanga City. Mm. So that was something we were a bit annoyed with because it painted the picture of our city as a perpetually scary place. When in reality, most of the time, it was actually safer and more peaceful than, say, some cities in Metro Manila where there's a lot of crimes like, you know, hold up and on the streets. Right? That's not a thing in Zamboanga before. It's similar to how New York City is portrayed in Marvel movies uh, yeah. as the <laughs> point of attack for aliens or extraterrestrial beings. Yes, right? like it's everything happens the Empire there. Empire State Building. Oh, it's New yeah. York getting attacked again. So I, I would think it's similar. <laughs> yeah, but for all you know, the reality is it happened in New Jersey or in some other place. But <laughs> yes. because New York is more popular, right? So something like that. But the problem with Sambuanga though is that there are stuff that happens there. Like maybe once in a few years, something terrible would happen. Like when I was in fourth grade, a bomb exploded in Fort Pilar. So this was an outdoor shrine where people would pray. They would like light candles for their prayers. So this explosion claimed the life of one of my batchmates. Ooh. So he was 10 years old, so young, right? That was like so devastating. But that must have been very traumatic for you, right? Your classmate, 10 years old, yeah, and especially for, for the parents, right? Not just his parents, but our parents at the time were all very paranoid. Like, yeah. you, you imagine, right? Like somebody at the same age as your kid. You can't help but imagine what if that had happened to your kid. Yeah. So I think during that time, parents were extra paranoid, extra more strict, you know, like not allowing their kids to go out and stuff like that. And then when I was in college... Two TNT bombs exploded around noon inside a shopping center in a commercial district of Sambuanga City when the mall was most busy, killing at least seven and wounding around 150 people. Two department stores were devastated in the attack. The first blast occurred at 11.30 a.m. at the Shaporama department store and was followed a half hour later by a second explosion at the adjacent Shoppers Central store. So I remember that more people were victims of the second blast because they were people who had gathered at the other shop to look at the first blast, you know, like the <laughs> chismoso people, you I know see. what I mean? So since then, I have made sure that if something bad happens, I would never stick around as a spectator because mm. that's a tactical move. It didn't just happen in Sabuanga, right? We've seen that in maybe movies mm. like Hunger Games. For example, like, you know, a blast explodes and then people will go yeah. there and then a second blast will explode, that sort of thing. So that's what they did. And yeah. the scenes from that blast were so scary, right? They showed everything on our local TV patrol and they didn't censor all the blood and the gore. So it was a haunting image that had a profound effect on everyone for the next few weeks. Mm. The terrorists got what they want. They sowed fear into our hearts. Again, parents were stricter on their kids, and then the malls had less people, and everyone was generally more paranoid than usual. And there was one time, I think it was a few weeks after that, when I thought, you know, life had gone back to normal. Um, we were in the mall again. My college friends and I were in the second floor food court of Mintpro, which was our biggest mall at the time. We had just ordered Jollibee. Yes, I know Jollibee. we always mentioned Jollibee in all our episodes, <laughs> including this one, which is about terrorism. Even in the terrorism episode, <laughs> we still have Jollibee. But we really were eating Jollibee. Promises is not sponsored. So we had just taken a few bites of our food when suddenly we heard people yelling. When we looked over the balcony of the second floor, which looks over the first floor, right? The, we noticed that uh, there were throngs of people running down the stairs, like from the fourth and third floors. They were just rushing down 
all the way to the ground and pouring out into the streets and, you know, screaming and stuff. So my friends and I stood up and we stood close to each other in a circle, like kind of like a loose group hug. But we didn't run because first, we didn't know what was going on. Like, okay, why were people yelling? Well, it could be a bomb because some people were yelling bomb, but you don't know, right? I mean, we don't hear any noise or something. So it's I think it's just the impact of because people were scared. And then the second reason is that uh, we didn't want to run and possibly get stampeded on. Mm, yeah. Everyone was running. If we go that way, then, you know, we might be in more danger. And then the third one, and most importantly, we didn't want to abandon our Jollibee orders. <laughs> because at that time, we couldn't afford Jollibee that easily. <laughs> this was a special occasion. We didn't want to just leave it. What if it was something that wasn't serious, right? <laughs> 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 oh, that's how much we love Jollibee we are with. <laughs> yeah. And sure enough, we found out that it was a false alarm. Apparently, a couple of guys got into a fist fight at one of the higher floors. And I guess some people just overreacted. Maybe somebody was reacting beside them. And then somehow, you know, when it passes down the line, it became a different story. And that's why people just panicked and they didn't know what was going on. They said, oh, there's some kaguluhan. And then they just ran thinking that it was a terrorist thing when actually it wasn't. So that is how terrifying it can be after a terror attack. But sorry, sorry, I'm still trying to wrap my head around people screaming, running, en masse. Mm-hmm. But you're just, you know what, screw them, let's just eat jollibee. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't eat though, we, we, we stood a bit away from the table. Oh, okay, okay. But we were not far from the table. Mm. We still had our eyes on our food. <laughs> In case some terrorists would steal your food, Yeah, right? I mean, at least terrorism didn't win and take our food, right? I mean... <laughs> they may take away our lives, but never our Jollibee. <laughs> we were still a bit practical then, right? Like, I mean, obviously, if there really was a bomb, we probably would have left, I would like to think, but we were not sure. That's why we were still there. <laughs> I hope there's not an alternate universe where we died because of the Jollibee. <laughs> but seriously, though, you're right. After an attack, there's always that kind of heightened security. Somehow, we become more paranoid. It's a traumatic event, so maybe after that incident, you would have avoided going to malls. You know, maybe for several weeks or months just because you you know you're stigmatized with that idea or that experience yeah definitely and you're more you know jumpy mm. like maybe you're just walking down the street and then a cat jumped out and you're like ah, and then, you know in normal circumstances it wouldn't be like that you know what i mean so it's not just terrorist attacks right like it's Anything, really. Like, if you experience something bad, like if you had a hold-up incident, right? Mm. Or you got yeah, robbed, similar. then you would feel traumatized afterwards. That's human nature. But even after I had left Sambuanga, and even the Philippines, I still did not escape the Sambuanga effect. Because in 2013, I was already in Singapore. Something happened. Let me just read from my blog about that. On the Monday following my birthday... I woke up to the news that my hometown was at war. Close to 200 hostages were taken, thousands of houses burned, and over 100,000 people were displaced from their homes. 
people died, including a hostage who was the father of a friend and a two-year-old boy who was hit on the head with a stray bullet, a mother who was cooking food to give to other people in her own house when mortar exploded and made a huge hole in her wall, and a politician who was mistaken for an enemy and shot by the military. Banks, schools, and businesses were closed for the entire duration of the war. Commercial plane flights to and from the city canceled. But as I said in one of my previous blogs about the situation, the truth is it is not just those tied-up people who have been held hostage by those terrorists. It is an entire city. Nobody has been able to live a normal life since this situation arose. Not just the people in the city who suddenly can't go to school or go to work or withdraw money or buy medicines or groceries or prepaid cell phone load, but their beloved loved ones abroad who can't concentrate on work or sleep well at night from worrying about what might happen to those they left behind. In fact, yesterday, while I was telling a couple of friends about this over lunch in a crowded pantry, we all started crying. I've been crying since Monday. I've been walking around with this literally painful, heavy feeling in my heart. Though I have many friends, none of them could possibly understand the struggle I went through during that period as I worried myself sick about the fact that my mother was back there. This was the part I meant about finding it hard to explain myself. That is why I was extremely grateful that I had hometown friends here with me, hometown friends who knew exactly what I felt like because they went through the exact same emotions. As I said in another previous blog, yesterday, my Sambuanga friends based here gathered in one house so we could pray together and support each other amidst the ongoing crisis in our hometown. We watched the news and aired out our thoughts, and it was such a relief to be with people who knew exactly what we were going through because we all felt that none of our friends could understand us right now. We even laughed as we shared all the ridiculous things we've been doing all week, which were all the same, constant checking of all news feeds being so distracted and short-fused, forgetting to eat, sporadic bursts of weeping in public places, the constant heavy lump of pain in the chest. I was worried that I was overreacting, but hearing their stories made me feel a bit better about myself. And so, when news broke that the war was finally over, after three torturous weeks, we all rejoiced and I suggested gathering once again for prayer, but this time for thanks. Wow. Yeah, that was like a really terrible time during that time. Actually, when I was reading this, I wanted, you know, I, f- I felt what happened again. It actually took me a long time to get over that. You know, in Facebook, it shows you what happened years ago, something like that. On this day, this is what happened. Facebook should stop doing that for <laughs> bad events. Every time I saw that for many years. Now I'm okay, but I don't know when it stopped hurting. But every time I saw that, like I would feel the heavy feeling mm. in my heart again. So it's really... Not easy, I would say. A terrorist attack hits differently. I don't know if I'm lucky that I grew up maybe made me a bit more resilient, I guess, in a way. Because mm. I remember, for example, mm. I wasn't even moving to Hong Kong yet. I was just asking my friend who was here, oh, there's all this news, right, about the protests and all those things happening here. So I asked him, are you okay? Like, I'm, I'm reading the news and all those things happening in Hong Kong. Are you okay? And then he said... Well, there's nothing. It's not like Sambuanga. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you've, you've it made him... <laughs> faced worse troubles before. That's why. Yes, it made him like such a resilient person. Like, what are you talking about? That's nothing. You know, it's not like real bombs or whatever. So, in a way, it's good. You, it made you a different person, more resilient, but it also made you a jumpier person. And I think it's 
similar to what you've mentioned that none of your other friends would have felt the same way because I would say no connection at all to what's going on in Zamboanga, similar to how I would say first world countries couldn't possibly relate to kind of terrorist attacks, right? Because it happened so rarely in their countries Like the 9-11 attacks was, it was a black swan event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an entirely bizarre, random event that happened and it doesn't normally happen in the US, but for the southern part of the Philippines, it does happen. And you're right, you mentioning that reminded me of how other people couldn't possibly relate to us talking about this right now. Like maybe they would have seen it over the news, but that's it. Like that's the only, it's it's a FYI for them. Yeah. And I don't really blame them because it's the same for me, right? If it's not my hometown, if you read the news of something happening, especially in a country that you have no connection to or you're sometimes you've never even heard about it or whatever. Uh, okay. It's just business as usual. Okay. It just happened. It's different if, for example, you can understand what people go through. So I think after that, I have more empathy for those, you know, who, not just Samoanga people, but anyone who goes through that, right? Like, and that is why the 9-11 was a big deal because, of course, there are so many Americans. Like, I remember there was this post on Reddit. So there's this um, video of a plane flying through a city where, with buildings. So apparently, it's something that happens in Australia. It's like... I don't know, a yearly event or whatever. But like a lot of Amer- Americans commented, did anyone watch this like while holding their breath? <laughs> you know, they still feel mm. the impact of, of 9-11 all these years, right? Like they felt like, oh my God, is the plane going to crash into the building? But it wasn't that at all, right? So there's a trauma. The trauma doesn't really go away that quickly. You're right. It's similar to how a mother would scold her daughter for saying something pain, right? Like, you don't understand pain until you give birth or something like that. Like, it's hard to be empathetic (laughs) to an event you haven't really experienced. It's like a song, right? Mm. You have no right to ask me how I feel. (laughs) (laughs) Is that what it's about? I don't think it's the right song. (laughs) I'm I'm just, I don't know, like... I'm, I feel sad, and, uh, okay. but you don't have, you don't have, you have no right to ask me how I feel because you have not experienced it or something like that. Mm, okay, I guess but so. But in the song, I think it's different meaning. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, probably. The, the girl's probably telling that to the guy who caused the pain, right? So that's why. Yes, yes, which right. is different. But yeah, I think you do have a right to ask people how they feel. <laughs> so I guess some tips I could say, like if you have a friend who is experiencing that like maybe in their hometown some terrorism is happening not necessarily just some bonga but anywhere just have a bit more empathy for that because you might feel like okay she shouldn't be too affected she's not there herself but if she has loved ones there it's really going to impact her in ways that you don't know until you yourself experience it it's the uncertainty that's what's troubling right because communication is cut off you can't possibly know what's going on so that's why it's kind of very stressful and because you cannot help and and i guess a lot of ofws are probably in a way feeling this right now because of the covid situation like you know where we are it's probably a bit more stable right but the philippines is crazy well, it's not the same thing, but it's a bit similar. You are helpless. You are abroad. You cannot fly to the Philippines because if you do, 
that's a crazy idea. You're only going to put yourself in danger. And what good does that do? Maybe you won't even be able to fly back to your country and then you lose your job. And then <laughs> it's just more trouble. I guess that's the closest thing I could think of that I could compare to that experience. One last item is, aside from us being feeling so helpless, our only mm. source of information perhaps is media. And you know how media is mm. usually highlight the negative events. Julie would focus on bombings and that's why it kind of creates that vicious cycle of our thinking very negative thinking that hey what could have happened maybe something terrible has happened maybe it's a good thing that we had social media at that time already because you don't need to just rely on news you could actually see the posts of people who are there on the ground so we were also following that so there was like a lot of looking at facebook and then a lot of um trying to find radio channels online that sort of thing mm. To close this, what can we do? What what are counter-terrorism measures? Now, on a state level in the Philippines, President Rodrigo Duterte has signed the Anti-Terrorism Act of 2020 to further strengthen our national security. So it's similar to how the U.S. created the Homeland Security Act as well after the 9-11 terrorist mm-hmm. attacks. So it's it's to strengthen and equip our state with stronger arsenal to prevent acts of terrorism. So obviously it's hard for us to prevent terrorism without the proper mm-hmm. equipment. And that's why with this bill, there is sufficient budget for our country to counter terrorist activities. But for you and I, like regular people, we also can help in counter-terrorist measures right and Mm -hmm. in our jobs for example in finance we always have these anti-money laundering policies and that is to ensure that we are not transacting businesses with terrorist organizations so Mm -hmm. it's really important if you're a finance profession or perhaps if you're doing business like if you're a businessman always know your customers not necessarily the customer you are dealing with Mm face-to-face but get to know who is the company employing them? How is that company formed? And try and make sure that the source of the fund, the capital that they have, is not funded by some terrorist organization. Because that's what they do, right? Like they kidnap people and once they have the money, mm. the only way for them to use that money legally is to launder that money in the circulation. And that's why they would create fictitious companies, especially if it's companies that are heavily cash-based, like laundromats, sari-sari store, they would use that money to funnel. I think I've heard that art actually is one of the big ways, right? Yeah. So if you're an art aficionado, if you're, what do you call that? An auctioneer, also make sure that, you know, it's properly documented, the source of funds. If it's funds coming from Cayman Islands, then make sure, you know, to, <laughs> to really identify the source of the money so that we make sure that we don't support because if they run out of options, if they can't legally use cash, then the activities will stop, right? Because mm. it effectively kills the organization. So it's one way of combating uh, terrorist activities. And I think that's it, really. We, we don't have anything else to say. If you do have any experiences yourself uh, that you would like to share with us, like, you know, did you have traumatic experiences yourself with terrorism or anything at all that you would like to say, please as usual, our social media is open at Banana Q Podcast. On usually, more, we are more active on Instagram, or you could email us at bananaqpodcast at gmail.com. 
So this is from Please Pause PH. I remember seeing the Kappa thing on the news. So this is in reference to the Kappa investment scam a few years back, but I didn't know that they victimized 5 million people. Wow. Then he says, if I recall correctly, they had a private army and lots of weapons and ammo were confiscated when the founder was arrested. That's not petty crime by any means. <laughs> yeah, in that way, yeah, it is not then. <laughs> well, maybe it started as a petty crime and then it grew to be a very big scam. scam yeah, that's possible. Yeah. People. So that's it for that's our it. cutie minute. And, you know, please continue to send us your messages and comments and we will choose the most interesting ones to mm. feature in future episodes. So thank you thank for you. listening again. Bye. Thank you. Bye.